Chapter 24 of The Adventures of Diggly Dan. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Paul Harvey. The Adventures of Diggly Dan by Edwin P. Norwood. Chapter 24 In Which Dan is Presented with the Key to the Valley. Having tarried in slumberland until well into the morning, Dan finally made known his intention of quitting it by rolling his head to one side, wrinkling the end of his long funny nose, and puckering his forehead in the very same spot where his brow was adorned with a red polka dot. Still, he did not at once rouse himself. In fact, so to put it, he really awakened a bit at a time and it was while he was not yet more than half, or at the very most, only two-thirds awake, that he felt something tickling the tops of his knees. This caused him to wiggle the ends of his toes, and to pucker his brow even more than before. But the tickling persisted, and so, at last fully awakened, he opened his eyes and sat straight up between the tall stalks of corn. A good morning, Sir Clown cried a welcoming voice. At the sound of it, Dan looked to the right and looked to the left, but not could he see save the green of the corn and the splashes of sunlight that patterned the ground. Here we are, out here, again called the voice, and looking down, Dan saw a most remarkable sight. There, drawn up in two lines along the ridge of his legs and extending well over his knees, were two entire companies of the jumping dragoons. He knew them at once, for all wore coats, caps, and trousers that were exact copies of beaters, while square at the head of them, astride a mouse in silver-trimmed trappings, was none other than that worthy himself. "'My, my, we thought you never would waken,' exclaimed Dan's guide of the night." But now that you have, allow me to present my comrades of the Mice Town Dragoons. At the precise moment that Beter pronounced the goons in Dragoons, he drew his sword from its scabbard and held it fixed its salute, while, with a rattle and swish and a flourishing flip, all the rest of the mice followed suit. My respects to you, to all, and a good wish for each one, returned Dan, as he bowed as best he could, sitting down. I assure you, I am honored by this courtly attention. Now then, fall out, Peter commanded, and make haste to bring forward our guests' breakfast rations. Off Dan's legs they all tumbled. Down past his feet they all went, and were soon coming back, carrying whole dozens of morsels of cream cheese and cake. These they piled high in Dan's willing lap, and, a half minute after, the clown was eating his fill while the red-coated dragoons perched upon his knees, feet, and shoulders, visiting and chattering for quite all they were worth. "'I suppose you are surprised to see me in uniform after what I told you last night,' Peter said." But since it was I who first guided you, all the dragoons insisted that I should lead them to the corn patch this morning. Besides, Plunger didn't mind being a horse for today. Did you, Plunger? 
he appealed to the mouse upon whose back he sat. Nee, answered Plunger, shaking his head and pawing Dan's ruff with one foot. He means no, not a bit, Peter explained. You see, it is one of our rules that when a dragoon is a horse, he is not to utter a word. He may only whinny or say no or yes with his head. So as they talked, Dan finished his breakfast. That over with, we will prepare to move to the square, announced Peter. Dragoons, fall in. At this word from their leader, the others all sprang to the furrow and were soon once more at attention. Forward, ha, came from Peter. Onward they marched until the rear of their lines had passed well beyond the clown's feet. Halt, ordered Peter. Now then, you Diggledy Dan will march just behind the tails that come last. You band mice will take up your position just behind Dan. With this last command, a group of beady-eyed fellows swung into view from an adjoining furrow. They wore jackets of green that contrasted in most lively fashion with their pink pantaloons and still pinker hats. As for instruments... There were what one might have called fifes, which were made by placing blades of green grass between two whittled sticks, and fully two dozen drums fashioned from corn cobs, with the ends covered over with well-seasoned husks. On the head of the largest drum, Dan read the words, Fielder's Fife and Drum Corps. The players were led by an unusually tall mouse, who seemed all the taller because of the great plush hat that he wore. This was held in place by a strap that passed under his chin. He carried a glistening stick with a knob at one end, which he spun high overhead as he marched. Dan knew him at once. It was Bounder, who had garnered the whole head of wheat. Thus brought into formation by Beater, their mile-high guests towering above them, the mice slowly emerged from the corn patch. Soon they had reached one of the broad, sanded paths that led into town. Already the merry notes of the fifes and the rattle of drums heralded the procession's approach. Small wonder, then, the windows were jammed with vast numbers of spectators, and the sides of the avenue simply gray with the crowd. Many of the younger mice had climbed up the corn stalks that bordered the street, while others trailed in the rear of the drummers or kept pace with Bounder as he twirled his baton. Beater, astride plunger, was everywhere at once, so it seemed, first at the head of the column and then at the back of it, now along one flank and now down the other, giving this order or that in a manner that called forth much admiration. At each of the corners were important mice in blue coats who waved back the throngs as the marchers drew near and touched their helmets as Dan passed their stations. Such were the scenes that greeted Dan's eyes as the procession moved onward to finally arrive at the square. Big as it was, the plaza looked to be completely carpeted with mice. These were of every color and size and all smartly attired in holiday dress. On a central platform was another mouse band. Its players blew lustily on pipes and on horns that were made from parts of wheat stalks. Just in front of the bandstand, but on a different and still higher platform, stood a table, 
and behind the table four chairs in a row. As for decorations, there seemed to be no end of them. Bandstand and platform were draped with bunting, and flags and gay pennants fluttered forth on all sides. Now at the point where Dan had come to a halt was a wide-spreading tree whose undermost branches just tipped the top of his sugar-loaf hat. This tree shaded the greater part of the square. Looking up from the scene that lay at his feet, the clown noticed a string dangling quite near his nose. Following the length of it, with the curious eye, he saw that it passed through a miniature pulley that was fixed to a branch of the tree. One half of the string ran down at a slant to be lost at a point where the jumping dragoons had been drawn up at attention. The other part of the string hung almost straight down until it reached the table that stood on the platform. And now Dan saw that a flag had been placed over the top of the table and that the end of the string passed under the folds of it. Even as he looked, there came a stir in the crowd and another in the branches that spread near his head. Glancing up, he saw Beater spring to his shoulder and again looking down, beheld four exceedingly dignified mice ascending the steps that led to the platform. All wore glossy silk hats, which were removed as they reached the top of the steps and then carefully placed under the four separate chairs that stood in a row near the table. Then they sat down and began mopping their brows with handkerchiefs, which they had drew from their pockets. They are our mayors, Beter imparted, as the band struck up an entirely new air of Dorton, of Knightsville, of Stubbleton, and here. The band, again silent, the most portly mouse, advanced to the flag-covered table. Mayor Mouser of Micetown, whispered Beter. Friends and fellow mice, began the speaker, we are gathered here today to welcome to our midst one who has traveled from afar. We have, and standing there with his head against the branches, Peter whispering explanations of all that was not clear to him, Dan listened to this welcoming speech. And now, in conclusion, said the mayor, I have in the name of all our villages the honor of presenting Diggledy Dan with the key to the Valley of Tick-Tock. As he said this, he lifted one hand in signal toward the companies of jumping dragoons. Instantly, Dan saw that the red-coated ones had taken hold of that end of the string which lay nearest them. Now they ran outward, quite as if they were playing at tug-of-war. At the same moment, the string tightened in the pulley, and then, up from the table, came the flag. As it unfurled to the breeze, Dan saw that its emblem was a sheaf of bright yellow wheat. Under the flag hung a bit of free string, and fast to the end of it, spinning and glittering as it came, was a golden key, scarcely longer than Dan's little finger. In a second, the key had been drawn up on a level with his face, and, prompted by Beater, the clown untied it amid wave upon wave of heartiest cheers and the gayest of gala day music. While the hoozes were in progress, any who were not looking at Dan might have noted that the four on the platform were in close consultation, 
A moment later, Mayor Mouser again waved for attention. I am happy to say that I have still another announcement to make, said he when silence had fallen. Of course, the greater part of our guest day and evening will be taken up with the tour of the valley. But this, as we all know, being clock day night, I ask that all of you who can possibly do so be in the square at midnight. For it has been unanimously decided that Diggledy Dan is to accompany us to hear the clock strike one. Cheer after cheer greeted this news. Again Dan was reminded of the queer tower that he had seen among the trees when he first entered the valley. Again he recalled the strange sound that had lulled him to sleep. He wondered if these things were to play a part in the promised adventure. But there was no time to ask. Already Beater had descended to the ground and was bringing the dragoons to attention. Already a new procession was being formed to escort Dan on his tour through the valley of Tick-Tock. Now Bounder had begun to twirl his sticks skyward and the fifes to make merry and the drums to beat. So still wondering, the golden key clasped tightly in one hand, Dan marched from the plaza, bowing first one way and then the other to the crowd or waving his pointed hat toward wee mice in arms that were held upward to claim his attention. End of chapter 24 Recording by Paul Harvey